Probably my favorite memories of Easter were when I was a student at Andrews University. And every year we had the passion play that the students would put on. And I was either in it in some way, I was never one of the actors or actresses, but I was in it in some way and I helped out in some way. And every year I went through the play. By the time I got to the crucifixion scene, I just, I knew that this was just students doing this, but I had tears rolling down my face. And the resurrection scene, I believe, was everyone's favorite because when Jesus came out of the tomb, everyone just applauded. You could just feel the excitement in the room because Jesus is alive. And at the end, it was just like this hush came over the crowd and everyone walked out silently, just kind of thinking about the message they had just seen. I really believe that that's what the resurrection, the crucifixion, the story of Easter, that's what it should do to us. It should make us think of how amazing and powerful our God is and what he has done for us. So we're gonna talk about that today. We're gonna talk about, especially we'll focus on the resurrection story. Before we get to that, I do have to say one more thing. I wanna thank all those who came to my commissioning service a couple weeks ago. It made me feel very special that you were there. And I am especially thankful for the notes that you wrote for me that, and the two books that were in the back. I will treasure those forever. And if there is ever a time that I get discouraged, I know where to go. I can pull those out and read those notes. They're very special to me, so thank you. All right, well, let's begin with the word of prayer and then get into the word of God. Lord, we want to pray this morning that you're here with us. We know that you're here, but we pray that you open up our eyes and our ears and our heart to hear from you. I pray this in your name, amen. In 2016, there's a movie that came out called Risen, a Christian movie. It is a made-up story of a Roman tribune who is sent to the cross to make sure that Jesus, once he dies, is actually put in the tomb and that then the tomb is sealed and that nobody steals the body, so he puts guards there. But what happens along the way is that once there is that rumor that the disciples stole the body, he's now tasked with finding the body of Jesus. And so he spends the rest of the time trying to find this body that nobody can find, that just is nowhere to be found. And then eventually he meets Jesus. And at the end of the movie, right before Jesus goes up, there is a part that I wrote it down because I don't want to miss the conversation that was there, where the disciples and they call him the Roman are sitting around the fire at a fisherman's village and they're eating. And the Roman turns to one of the disciples and he asks, did you know he would rise? Well, he said he would, but truth be told, we doubted it. Then what made you follow him, he asked. And at that moment, there is this commotion that happens and you see the scene turn towards this leper who just appears on the scene and he's trying to steal a fish from a rack that was on the neighboring house. 
But then somebody, as, as he's trying to grab this fish, he makes a rattling noise, and the people in the house realize that he's there, and they start screaming, leper, 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 and they cry, they come out with clubs and sticks, and they start beating him and kicking him and just leave him on the ground laying there. And then they leave. Jesus gets up, and he picks up a fish, and he walks towards the man. And he's, as he's walking towards him, you hear in the background as the disciples are saying, and one of them says, he's going to do it. Do what, the Roman asks. He's going to heal that man. How? Watch, just watch. And another one says, a miracle, we saw it many times, Roman. Jesus goes up to the man, and you see him grabbing onto him, and he puts a cloak around him, and he touches him, and he touches his face, and he kisses his head. And you see the disfigured face of the man. And then he helps him get up. You just see the love that Jesus has for this man. And as he's walking away, Jesus is walking towards the disciples. And at that moment, you see the man turn back, and the camera zooms in on him, and you see a healed man. And then the disciple that Roman Tribune was just talking to turns to him and says, that's why. I love that scene because of what it means. Because really what he's saying, he asked him, why did you follow him? And they say, he says, this is why. And really the answer is, because this is who Jesus is. Interestingly though, as I look through the story of Jesus and the disciples and their relationship, I have to wonder whether that is actually true, whether they actually knew who really Jesus was. And when you look through what happens, you kinda think they didn't. They said they knew and that they were following him because of who he was, but they didn't really know who he was. Let's look at this. We're gonna start in Mark chapter 15 and go through most of chapter 16, just as Evelyn read for us. And I know it's a bit of a portion here, but I think that it's important for us to actually see the sequence of what happened. So we're gonna go through it. We're gonna begin in chapter 15 in verse 37. And this is where Jesus, it says, breathes his last breath and he dies. And then in verse 38 it says, then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that, he cried out like this and breathed his last. He said, truly this man was the son of God. This is the first time that anyone in the book of Mark acknowledges Jesus as the Son of God. And interestingly, it is not a Jew. It is not one of his disciples. It is a Roman centurion. And then we keep going and it's talking about the burial of Jesus. And who buries Jesus? Two of his disciples who have been in hiding this whole time. 
who didn't even acknowledge who Jesus really was until they see what happens on the cross. And now it says they took courage and Joseph of Arimathea goes and asks Pilate for the body of Jesus. And then it describes it and says what they did in verse 46. Then he bought fine linen, took Jesus down, wrapped him in the linen, and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. The tombs at that time, since Joseph was a rich man, he would have had a circular stone. But most of the stones were square or rectangular. They weighed over 440 pounds. But since this was a circular one, there would have been a hedge that would have just been removed and the stone would have rolled down in a groove and sealed the tomb. So it was pretty easy to put it in place. Taking it out would have been a totally different story. But it ends and it says, and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid. But where are the disciples? You see Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who's mentioned in some of the other passages. Well, where are the disciples? They are in hiding. They're hiding because their world has just fallen apart. And they feel defeated, discouraged, and completely hopeless. And they don't know what to do with this new reality. What do you mean Jesus is dead? Jesus can't be dead. He's the Messiah. He's supposed to be the one who takes us from under the rule of the Romans. He is supposed to be the victorious one. He can't die. And on top of that, how could he die on the cross? The Jews believed that if you died on the cross, you were cursed by God. It's not possible. So then did we this whole time follow the wrong Messiah? Did we waste our time with him? Their reality, this new reality, shattered their goals, dreams, and aspirations. And so they are the ones who are behind locked doors while everyone else is doing things with Jesus' body. And then we get to chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, meaning on Saturday evening, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. And now it continues with very early in the morning, on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. Now, the different stories in the Gospels tell us what actually happened. We have to piece it together because not one of them gives us the full picture, which actually is a good thing because scholars tell us that anytime you have any witnesses who say the same thing, you know they're lying because they have colluded somehow to come up with that story. But because they have these witnesses tell it from different perspectives, we know that this is an accurate account. So when they come to the tomb, in John, it tells us that really it was Mary Magdalene who came first because the women came from different directions. So Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb and she sees that it is empty. 
And then Matthew tells us why it is empty. Because during the night, close to the morning, suddenly there was an earthquake and the guards were fell down to the ground as dead men, it says. And now an angel comes and rolls away the stone. But because it says that it was actually carried away from the stone, the angel must have picked up the stone, carried it away, and then dropped it. And then it says he sat on it. Every time I read that part, I chuckle. Why did he sit on it? It's as if to say, no one is going to keep Jesus from coming out. I am here to make sure of that. So we know when she comes, she sees it empty, and she runs off to tell the disciples. Well, meanwhile, these other women are on their way to the tomb as well, and they start talking to each other, and their conversation is recorded here for us in verse 3. They say among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Sounds like a little late to be asking that, don't you think, when you're on your way? But it says when they arrive there, they see the stone had been rolled away already. And entering this tomb, they see a young man. They describe him as a young man, but his clothes show that this is not just a regular young man. And then he speaks to them and says, don't be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. And they're the first people who are told, he is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went away from the tomb. It says they were trembling and amazed and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. That does not mean that they didn't tell the disciples because that's where they were going. They didn't tell anyone on the way. And then we're told that When he, Jesus, rose early on the first day, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. So now we have to go back to John. What happens next? Well, while these two women are running to tell the disciples, Peter and John and Mary are on the way back to the tomb. They arrive at the tomb. John sees, and he notices that the the linen cloths that covered Jesus' body were taken off, which, by the way, just proves that nobody could have stolen the body because no thief is going to come in and take the time to unwrap everything and then take the body. So he sees this, and then Peter just rushes past him and goes inside the tomb. They see it all, and then they walk away, marveling at what just happened. Mary stays, and suddenly Jesus appears to her because he is rewarding her faith and the fact that she's been there this whole time and he knows how much she loves him. So when she first thinks that he's a gardener and she says, please tell me where you have put him. And then he says, all he has to say is just one word, Mary. At that moment she knows it's Jesus. It's Jesus speaking to me. And she turns around and she must have held on to him because he says, don't keep clinging on to me because I haven't yet gone to the Father. And then it says that she, finding this out, heard that he was alive. No, she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept in verse 11. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. 
The women told them they did not believe. Mary Magdalene comes and tells them she actually saw him herself and they don't believe. Then it says he appears to another two disciples. These are the disciples that went to Emmaus. And on the way, Jesus restrained their eyes because he didn't want them to be able to recognize him right away because he wanted them first to see it in scriptures, that this is who the Messiah actually is. And once they got it, then in the evening, it says, when they sat down as he broke bread, they suddenly realized, this is Jesus. And they run back to tell the rest of the disciples. And when they are there, the only one that was missing at this time was Thomas. And when they are there, Jesus appears to them. And then it says again in verse 14, later he appears to all of them at a table. And this is what he says. It says, he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Their unbelief and hardness of heart did not come from God. It came from the enemy who wanted them to feel discouraged and defeated and not believe what they had heard about Jesus. And he continues and says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. In this little passage, it says the word believe or belief seven times. And as you know, seven times is a special number in the book of the Bible. Seven is number of completion and perfection. So the fact that it is here seven times means that the author wants us to notice that word. It is important that they believe and that we believe when we read these accounts. And they are rebuked for not believing. Now what happens next? A miracle. The disciples go from cowardly and defeated to bold and unstoppable in just a few weeks. In fact, the transformation is so drastic that everyone is marveling at what just happened to these uneducated, untrained men. How is it possible that they were the ones who were hiding this whole time. Suddenly, they are everywhere. And they're talking about Jesus and his resurrection. Everywhere they go. They were so convinced of the fact that Jesus was alive. That persecution, torture, would not stop them. Nothing was going to keep them from speaking about a risen Savior. What happened to them? They were changed. They were changed, and I believe that for the first time, they finally actually realized who Jesus really was. They knew now. The resurrection taught them who Jesus is. But number two, 
What made the difference is that now they knew that he was alive. They had hope. He is a savior who has promised us the future heaven. They knew that he was there for them through everything that was happening. He was alive. And because Jesus is alive, we do not have to live in a state of defeat. Because Jesus is risen, we do not have to live in fear. Because Jesus is resurrected, we have life and life abundant. I know that Jesus is alive, but there are times when it kind of slips my mind, or I don't really think about it as much, unfortunately. But this past month on the mission trip, I could not deny, none of us could deny that Jesus is alive. The first day of work that we went up the mountain, we went up to 15,000 feet. It was the scariest day of the mission trip. But we talked at the beginning, when we got there, that Satan is going to try to discourage us because that's what he wants, us to be defeated and to not think that we can really make a difference for God. And so we were just open about it. And sure enough, Satan wanted to discourage us on that first day of work. So as we got up the mountain, you have to go on these very steep roads. And as we got up, it started raining. So we're all standing in the rain, trying to get the explanation on how to install the solar panels. And there are some people who are just not doing very well because of the altitude, right? Because we're so high up, they had to get back on the bus. The rest of us are trying to just push through it. But we are starting to get discouraged because it's raining and we're so up high and we have all this work that we have to do and we haven't even started. Now for lunch, we take a break and it gets sunny for about an hour. There is a group that goes to a different spot and some of us stay in, in the one area. We installed, each one of the groups that stayed in this area installed one solar panel, this group only a few of them installed one. And then they had to abandon the project because it started hailing, not just raining, it started hailing lightning and thunder. We found shelter in one of the abandoned little houses. It was actually under construction. So my group, there were several groups of us who were under that. There was another group in our site that also didn't have shelter and just came in, was trying to find shelter from a different area trying to get to the bus. And then the group over here had to walk in the hail and the rain and the thunder and the lightning for an hour. And if you know anything about Peru, these are not like easy peasy, let's walk down the road. These are steep mountains and you're trying to make it around, not slip and fall down. So if our hearts were beating fast, yeah. We thought that we were for sure, if we made it down this mountain on that day, then God was for sure alive. And the crazy thing was that the students were the ones who were the most courageous ones. And they encouraged all of us because they were singing 
and praising God through the whole thing. No matter what was going on, they just kept singing. Now, by the time we got on the bus, because we all made it in and we got on one of the buses to go down, the, the roads are mud, right? So now we're worried because we're going down that at any moment we can just fall off into some precipice and the bus is gonna just, we're all gonna die. So we are praying and singing the whole time. And I really believe, now looking back, that if we had our eyes open, we would have seen the angels holding the bus every single step of the way, all the way down the mountain. We know that it was an amazing thing what God did that day. Nobody got struck by lightning. And the storm lasted and lasted and lasted. It was the rainy season, but it was not supposed to hail for that long. So we know Satan was out there to get us. He wanted to discourage us on the first day so we would not do what we were out there to do. We get down, and a couple of days later, we found out that the Loma Linda University School that was there at the same time, they went out in rain, and they hit a boulder and crashed the bus into it. And it wasn't even raining as hard as it was that day that we were on it. So we know God is alive. And not only that, that evening when we got back into camp, we were all still a little shaken, we had our worship together. And one of, the, one of the girls that was in charge of song services for that day had lined up all of the songs that we were going to sing each time. And for that evening, the song that was on that list was the song Cornerstone. And I'm gonna read you some of the lines. It says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. And then the chorus says, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, he is Lord. It was so powerful to see God work like that, where he had known that we were going to need that song right then, that night. And he showed himself that he is powerful and that he can take care of us through any storm. The fact that Jesus is alive made a difference in the disciples' lives. It changed them forever. And I'm going to repeat this again. Because Jesus is alive, we do not have to live in a state of defeat. Because Jesus is risen, we do not have to fear. Because Jesus was resurrected, we have life, and we have it abundant. Now the question is for us, the, G the disciples were changed. But what about us? Does the fact that Jesus is alive change you and me?